Welcome to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, you know, we're in this um, teaching series called Light in the Darkness. And uh, what your team does provide light in the darkness in Christ's name. So we are grateful grateful for you and that work. I want to say welcome. My name is Tim. Uh, we are in our Advent series, Light in the Darkness, and it is, uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks for being with us today. Um, I want to take a moment, Christian mentioned this last week, but I want to just take a moment to talk about what Advent is, because uh, maybe for some of us we've heard the word Advent, we know it has something to do with Christmas, um, but we're not sure more than that. Advent comes from the Latin adventus. Can everybody say adventus? Adventus. Yeah, it's more fun to say than just Advent. Adventus. It means uh, arrival. Um, and uh, Advent, Adventus, refers to the first and second arrivals of Jesus. And so it's looking back to the first arrival of Jesus, born um, as a baby in Israel, the longing of the Jewish people. And it looks ahead to the second arrival of Jesus, when Jesus comes at the end of history to judge evil and renew all things. And so Advent, over, uh, over the, the centuries, for followers of Jesus, what they've done is they've taken these first four weeks, these first four Sundays before Christmas, and they've reflected both on the, the first arrival of Jesus and then ahead to the coming arrival of Jesus. And they've asked themselves questions like, is my heart ready for Jesus to come again? And they've asked themselves questions like, where do I long, where do I ache for Jesus to arrive and judge evil and bring healing and righteousness? And they've reflected on these things. And so um, it becomes, it's became a season over the centuries that themes like waiting and longing and aching uh, get addressed over and over Again, And so um, I just think it's so appropriate this year uh, to ha- as we go into Advent, this, this season about waiting, because 2020, if it is anything, it is the year of the wait. We have, uh, we have waited in lockdown. We're waiting for this vaccine to come. We're waiting uh, to go, you know, for uh, all the kids to be back in school, in person. Um, we've waited through... Uh, the result waited for the results of the presidential election. It's this season of waiting. And uh, as I was preparing for this message, I was digging around doing some research on waiting. And there's actually quite a bit of research on the psychology of waiting and lines. And I want to share a little bit about it because I think it's interesting. So five major takeaways from the psychology. This is like for grocery lines or amusement park lines or, um, you know, airport lines. So psychology of waiting lines. Five things um, that make waits feel longer. Number one, um, unoccupied time feels longer in line than occupied time. This is why... Everyone started baking sourdough bread uh, back in the springtime. We wanted to occupy our time. Makes it feel longer. Number two, 
Anxiety makes waiting feel longer. When you are in the dentist office and you are getting a root canal waiting for your appointment, it is going to feel like a long wait. Number three, uncertain end times make the wait feel longer. This is why when you go to Disney, it always has how long the wait will be right when you're walking up into the line. When you don't know how long it'll be, it makes it feel longer. Number four, waiting alone feels longer than waiting with other people. And then number five, when the wait goes longer than you expect it to, it always feels worse. And so I read through these things and I thought, what mad scientist created 2020? Like put everybody together where, you know, we're, we're, we're isolated. We can't see friends and family. We're anxious. We don't know how long it's going to last, but we all expect it to be over. And then it just keeps going. All these different things. Um, and it just, it, you know, it makes it this very difficult and unpleasant wait. And then I think about, um, you have all that. And then as we move into this, uh, this Christmas season, a lot of all these different dynamics that have made the waiting and the aching of 2020, a lot of them are just kind of coming to the surface in new ways. You know, I, for myself, I was reflecting on the fact that um, it'll be, it's been about 20 years that I haven't been with my parents on either Thanksgiving or Christmas. And this will be the first time in two decades that I haven't seen them. And I, I think it's most families, most groups of friends, this Christmas season is going to feel different. There's going to be aching and longing and waiting for this to be over that will come to the surface in this season. And I, I guess maybe even just a question to ask for you to reflect on is what in this season... What do you find yourself waiting for? What are the things you're waiting for right now? Maybe you're waiting. Maybe there's certain friends, certain family members you haven't been able to see. And you are just longing to see them face to face to give a hug. Maybe you're waiting to be in this sanctuary with your brothers and sisters and singing at the top of your lungs. Maybe you're waiting for school to be in person again, to run and laugh at recess. Maybe you're waiting for sports to start back up. Maybe there's a job. Maybe you are unemployed right now. You're waiting for the jobs to come back. Maybe you're waiting for the light to come back, just the sunshine, daylight, for it to be daylight at 6 p.m. again. Uh, what do you find yourself waiting for? We're in the, se- uh, the series called Light in the Darkness. And um, the, the idea of the series was there's so many different um, scriptural texts that use this imagery of light and darkness especially around the arrival of Jesus. And today I want to look at some of these light and darkness texts that are specifically about waiting and see what they might say to the wait we are in together right now. And so I want to invite you, the first text we're going to look at today uh, is going to be in the book of Isaiah. 
So Isaiah is a little, little more past halfway, a uh, little past halfway in the middle of your Bible. Um, it's right before Jeremiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah uh, chapter 9, this was written um, 2,700 years ago. It was written 700 years even before Jesus of Nazareth was born. I mean, this is an old, old text. We actually got the opportunity to teach through the book of Isaiah about two years ago. If you're interested in learning more on the book, you can go back in our um, teaching archives on the website and learn about it. But in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah, what has happened is the northern part of Israel has been conquered by this violent foreign empire. Um, and you'll actually hear some of the, the, the place names of the northern part of Israel in the text we're about to read. But they've been, it's been decimated. And then throughout the entire land, so many people are turning away from the living God, not expressing trust in the way of God. And Isaiah is writing into this very dark situation a word of hope. And so I want to pick up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, and this is what Isaiah writes. He says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. These are all these northern uh, place names that had been decimated. And then verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah uh, writes, he uses this imagery of, uh, of a sunrise, light dawning, light breaking into a land of darkness. And in fact, he does it in the past tense. He's talking clearly about a future event, but he does it in the past tense as if to say this is, we are, that he is so certain that this will take place. We can talk about it in the past tense as if it already occurred. This light breaking into a land. I wonder if you've ever had a night where you couldn't wait for dawn to come. I was talking to a mountain climber friend who was reflecting on uh, when you, you start an um, alpine climb at 4 a.m. and you just look forward to the first glimmers of sun breaking over the horizon. A light has dawned. Isaiah goes on and he, he, he says, so he says a light is coming and then in verse 6 and 7 he describes what that light is is, what the source of that is. And so in verse 6, Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah says this, this dawn, this light in the darkness, um, the source of it, what it is ultimately about is a child who is born a king. This king 
uh, child with these incredible names of wonderful counselor and prince of peace. This king who will bring justice and right relatedness to the land. This is the light in the darkness, Isaiah says, uh, that our hope is pointed to. I want us to hold that imagery in our mind, and I want to flip now to the right in your Bible, um, to the very last book of the Old Testament, the famous prophet from Italy, Malachi. Um, it's right before Matthew. Actually, it's Malachi. There's no prophet from Italy. Um, uh, Malachi chapter 4. So Malachi is writing, um, if Isaiah was 700 years before Jesus, Malachi is actually 250 years after Isaiah and 450 years before Jesus. And Malachi is writing in a time where now the southern part of Israel has been conquered by another violent foreign empire. Some of the people have been taken into exile and some have returned. And again, Malachi, like Isaiah, is looking forward to this moment when God will break into human history and bring judgment on evil and healing and righteousness. And so Malachi writes in chapter 4 verse 2 about this future hope. Malachi says... But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Malachi, he's, uh, he's using the same imagery that Isaiah was pulling on that when God acts in human history, it will be like light, like a sun rising and breaking through the darkness. And then Malachi also, he ties into this deep human longing to frolic like a well-fed calf. You know, we've all felt that before, right? Yes? So, um, when, but when I, when I read these texts, when I read Isaiah and I read um, Malachi, I just find myself thinking about the centuries and centuries of waiting that they represent of the Jewish people waiting for the Jewish Messiah to come. I mean, think about, think about your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents. I mean, this, these texts represent uh, generation after generation of people living, being born, and living, and dying, and continuing to wait for the same thing. I think about the fact that the United States of America is 250 years old. And that is like a drop in the bucket compared to the weight of the Israelite people for God to act and send the Messiah. And it, I, in this, this season of waiting, I think it, for me, as I, as I kind of identify my waiting and try to connect into the waiting of Isaiah and Malachi, one thing it reminds me of is that waiting is normal. Waiting is actually a normal part of life. And for most people, most places, they understood that waiting is a normal posture of human living. And, I, and I, I wonder to myself, is it only in the 21st century of Amazon Prime and Netflix and iPhone map finding that we just can't stand waiting even one minute? I am one of the most impatient people when it comes to waiting. The, the psychology of lines was all written for me. 
I like when it comes to grocery store lines or slow computers or children looking for coats and shoes when we're running late or the most crazy making thing of all border crossing lines that are unfair like I just I am impatient when it comes to waiting in line and I'm reminded uh, by the waiting of the Jewish people for the Messiah I'm I'm reminded that waiting is normal And in fact, most of life is spent waiting for the most important things in life. Most of life is spent waiting for the most important things in life. The things that really matter. Um, You know, growing up from childhood into an adult. Working towards graduation. Finding your vocational calling. uh, Seeing other children in your life, maybe your own kids or nieces and nephews, seeing them grow up and find their identity. Finding lifelong friendships. Finding a spouse. Walking with someone through the last days and months of their life. Letting God into the deep hurts of your past and letting God work on healing them. Letting the Spirit identify deeply held patterns of sin and root them out from your life. Asking for the Spirit to break into a relationship that's frozen, that needs to be changed. Longing for Jesus to come and put an end to sin and injustice and bring healing and righteousness. The most important things in life, we will spend most of our life waiting on them. None of these things can be put on same day delivery. We wait for the most important things. Waiting is a normal part of human life. So there's this, this waiting, this long wait of the Jewish people, waiting for God to act. And I want to invite you now to flip to the right in your Bible, just a few chapters over to the book of Luke. Flip over from Malachi. Luke is right after Mark, right before John. It's one of the four ancient biographies of Jesus. And um, Luke uh, writes about this man, Zechariah, who in a lot of ways represented, he embodies these faithful Israelites waiting for God to act. Zechariah was a man who didn't have any children. An angel appeared to Zechariah and said that he and his wife would have a son and that this son would prepare the way for God to begin to do the very thing that God had promised through Isaiah and Malachi. The son is born... And then at the end of chapter 1 in Luke, Zechariah sings a song over his son. And I, it doesn't say this exactly, but I, when I picture it, just, I picture Zechariah holding his newborn son, his only child, and singing softly over him. And I want to read what Zechariah sang. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 1, very end, beginning in verse 
76. This is the latter part of what he's saying. It says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah sings these words and I just, I see him embodying the men and women who had longed with Isaiah Malachi all those centuries, the grandmas and grandpas who longed for God to act. And when I see Zechariah singing this, um, I just, I find myself, what can I glean from the waiting heart of Zechariah? And I, and I, and I think about, I think about the wait that we're in and, you know, the weight that we're in, I, I, I've come across a lot that's written and said about waiting well. Waiting well while we're in this pandemic. And, and it's all good things. There's a lot of good to be said about waiting well, about, um, about mindfulness and managing our anxiety and having structure and rhythm and things to sell. There's all sorts of good things about waiting well. But when I, when I look at Zechariah, I don't see somebody who's focused on his own weight, on waiting well. I don't see, I don't look at Zechariah and think, oh, there's somebody who really managed his anxiety well um, or, you know, kept a good, he was very productive in his weight. But I, when I look at Zechariah, I see someone who is not focused on his own weight, but is focused on the, way, the one he is waiting for. And I wonder, what was going on in Zechariah's heart? What was going on in his mind? That, how did it happen? Did you, I mean, the, this language from Isaiah Malachi, it shows up in this song. Like, what was going on in, in Zechariah's heart that, that, that those patterns were so ingrained? What was going on in his mind that the, the record grooves of his mind played to the words of Isaiah and Malachi? How was her, his longing and aching shaped by the words of those prophets, that when his son, when he found out that his son would prepare the way, that the day of God's action was finally coming, his reaction was to break out in song, full of these images from God's promises in the past. He was focused not on his weight, but the one he waited let me kind of just pull this together um, for us. You know, when I think about, I think about Advent, and uh, every year we go through Advent, every year we talk about connecting, remembering the longing of the Jewish people for the Messiah to come. And every year we talk about connecting in with our own longing. For Jesus to come and put an end to sin and injustice and make all things well. And for a lot of years, a friend recently said, a lot of years it feels like a victory lap before we get our presents. But I wonder, uh, when I think about our church, I wonder about this year in 2020, this year of the forced wait. 
if we might not connect in to the longing of the Jewish people for the Messiah, if we might not connect in with our own and this world's longing for Jesus to come again in a unique and special way this season, if God might actually have something special to do in our hearts this Advent because this is the year of the wait, and that we together as a church would spend this Advent focused on the one we wait for. That as we think about the wait of the Jewish people, our hearts would long with them for Jesus. As we think about Jesus' arrival in the future, our hearts would ache for the places that we long to see Jesus bring his justice and righteousness. Our hearts would ache for the places that we, ex- we desire Jesus to unexpectedly show up in our lives today. Because this is the good news of Advent. That our hope does not rest on how faithfully we wait, but on the faithfulness of the one we wait for. He is good. And these are his names. We wait for the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We wait for the one who is the rising sun coming from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. We wait for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I pray for our community and uh, Jesus, you see the aches of uh, the hearts of each man and woman and each child uh, listening right now. You see uh, into our hearts what we're actually waiting and longing for. Uh, You see those places that we are um, uh, desiring you to show up. You see those places that uh, we need you. And uh, today, I would ask that you point that waiting and aching and longing. You draw it and point it towards yourself. You help us see how you are the fulfillment of it. Would you meet us this Advent in a unique way? your good name I pray. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.